today uh, we have a special treat. Um, Ron Elmore is just a great guy. Um, I'll let, I'll, he'll get to talk to him a little bit. I'm going to share, we'll have a little sit down in a minute after he teaches for a few minutes. But I wanted you to, to have um, a sense of just a nice person. He and his wife are just two great people. I met him in Sacramento. Uh, he goes to a friend of mine's church, um, uh, Parnell Lovelace, Bishop Parnell Lovelace is a good friend. And, and um, I met him through Bishop Parnell. And I was there preaching. I preached a few times for them. And, and I just really like him. Been to his house. Even though he sold his house, he sold his cat, his dog, his everything. And he's moving to Cape Town, South Africa. Come on. Yes, he is. He's moving to Cape Town. This is, this is his last American event for the next couple of years. And... Um, so when I heard he was going to be in Charlotte going through a special training program, he's going to the mission field. And he's going to um, teach leaders over in Cape Town. And I just think it's fantastic. And so I wanted him to come and share. And, and I said, I'll let him come this Saturday night, talk to you a little bit, talk a little bit about whatever you want to do. You can do relationships, you can do whatever you feel like doing. And then... Um, on tomorrow, he'll do a se something separate, so it won't be the same sermon. So you can come back tomorrow and hear him sit down on a different uh, topic. But I, he wrote some great books, and, and I'll let him, I will talk about all that later and some other great things he's done. Been on national television, done Oprah, done a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, I, whenever I introduce people, we'll tell you some of the stuff he's done specifically. But I, he's a nice guy. You know, at the end of the day, some people can be really famous and be really jerks and jerkettes. But he's a what? nice guy so for the next 30 minutes he's going to come and talk to you and then after that we're going to sit down and have a little chat and so would you do me a favor watch this video first tell you a little bit about him and then we'll have him come speak to you watch the video Dr. Ron Elmore, a relationship therapist, ordained minister, and author of national bestsellers, including but not limited to How to Love a Black Man, How to Love a Black Woman, An Outrageous Commitment, The 48 Vows of an Indestructible Marriage, and No Nonsense Dating. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Public Relations and Journalism, a Master of Arts degree with concentrations in both theology and marriage and family counseling, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. Dr. Elmore has emerged as one of America's most popular media experts on love, marriage, and family, as evidenced in his many appearances on network and cable television and in every major radio market nationally. Overcoming by Faith Family, let's welcome Dr. Ron Elmore. Oh my. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, hello, Overcoming by Faith. I am glad to be with you. My thanks to Pastor and uh, First Lady and to all of you for being here. Uh, he talks about, I'm a nice guy. That's exactly what we say about you back in Sacramento. Uh, we say that, that, uh, that Pastor Ricky Temple from Savannah, he sure did bless. He taught our staff, he taught our leaders and preached for our entire congregation. And a lot of times the people that you can get a lot of great information from, good insight, and that helps us to grow are people that you wouldn't want to go have lunch with. So, so we, got, uh, we got two in one. That's exactly what we say about you. Down to earth, dynamic. It was a blessing to us. And we were honored to have a pastor in our home a few years ago. And then last year, uh, we had uh, Lady Diana, Lady Diane, and your daughter. Uh, along with us visiting at the church as well. So I appreciate so much the invitation to come here. As he said, we're headed. And March 16th, we will land in Cape Town, South Africa to start the next chapter of our lives and ministry. And so this is history making for us. This is after 25 years of traveling the country and talking about relationships and preaching. I, I look forward to at some point in the future doing that again. But this is the last known booking at a, an American church. And I'm spending it with Overcoming by Faith in Savannah, Georgia, this weekend. Thank you for that, sir. I want to uh, be very mindful of the time, because I do not believe that you are here because you had nothing else to do. 
and that you slid up in here this afternoon because you couldn't think of any other thing you could do with 90 minutes on a Saturday afternoon. 90 minutes on a beautiful Saturday that's warm and sunny and all that. So I suspect that you are here not because you were bored and had nothing to do, but because you love God and you love his word and you love worshiping him and hearing from him and being slowly but surely transformed by him. And so I am trusting and have prayed that that's exactly what he'll do with our time together today. He will allow his perfect word to come out of my imperfect mouth, go into your imperfect ears, and some kind of way make us all more like the perfect Christ as a result of it. So I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and then I want to talk to you today, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you were married and ain't married no more, whether you're thinking about wishing you were married, whether you're married and wishing you weren't, whatever the case may be, you're in the right place. And I believe that God has a word for all of us today to encourage us about something that whether we talk about it or uh, whether we talk about it a lot or not, and my suspicion is it's one of those things in the body of Christ we don't talk a lot about. It is something that God can use to get his great glory and for us to get great benefit. And I trust that he is going to cause that to happen today. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for who you are and for how you are, for all the ways you've shown your love to us, not the least of them being the giving up of your son so that we can have eternal, perfect relationship with you, intimate now and super face-to-face -face intimate with you later. We ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Would you speak to us in ways that transform us? Hide me and glorify yourself. Thank you now for what you are up to that we can sense and what you are up to that we have no clue about. Bless your people. Make us more like you, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It has been my passion, it's been my privilege to, uh, in the last three decades, to travel around and talk about marriage, family, dating, uh, parenting relationship, all things relationship according to the Word of God. I believe the Bible itself is, as proud as I am of the books that I've written, I have not found a better book on relationships than the Bible itself. I have found that it is not on the topic of relationships. It is not just theory and philosophy and think about it stuff. It's practical, do something about it stuff. And so I'd like us in the next 25 or 30 minutes, I'd like us to focus our attention in a way where we are not just committing ourselves to be thinkers about the word, not just committing ourselves to be prayers about the word, but literally to be hearers who leave here committed to being doers of his word. For some of us, it'll be a word that we can put into practice right now. So has God navigated your life where today, at this very moment, you don't have to think about it or pray about it or fast about it for 30 days. It is now your opportunity to act upon what God shares with us today from his word. For some of us, it'll be like on the layaway plan. Remember layaway? We were kids. It was before there were credit cards, or at least before we had them, the way that you could get stuff now that you couldn't pay for is you put a dollar down, promise to give them a dollar a week, you come back when enough dollars had added up, and then you take it home. So it meant that it was yours. They put your name on it. It just wasn't yours to use yet. It was for you to use in the future. For some of you, what I'm going to share with you today, you may think it is for you to take away and to use it far in the future at some unknown date, and you will find that God has plans for you this very week to put into practice what we talk about tonight. Because I want us to talk about a topic that, as I said, we don't talk about uh, very much at all when we talk about love and relationships and open the Word of God. But I want to talk about the ministry of managing mess, conflict resolution. I want to talk about how to fight right. Anybody who's walked with God more than 10 minutes and has been realistic about what it means to be a follower of Christ has recognized that just when you got saved and got filled with the Holy Spirit and got baptized and joined the, uh, this wonderful church, it didn't mean that in all of your relationships, conflict stopped. 
that mean that there was never any more mess, never any more disagreement. Once you got saved, once you started studying the Word of God, that all went out the window. If that is your testimony, I would say that's a lie, respectfully. What we have found is that God is a God who, because he has promised in his word, Romans 8, 28, he said he causes all things to work together for good. How many of you have recognized that mess didn't go away, but our ability to handle it differently increased hugely? Doesn't mean we're even excellent at it yet, but it means day by day, moment by moment, relationship by relationship, it becomes the opportunity not just to lament about how bad we are at managing conflict, but for us to celebrate how step by step, piece by piece, God is making us better at something that is huge to him. The gospel itself is a story about conflict resolution. It is, I am a lost sinner, you a lost sinner, separated from God, and that God went through extreme measures at great expense to himself to reconcile the conflict between a holy God and sinful men and women like you and me. That means the gospel itself is a success story about how to handle mess. What mess? My sin. The differences between me and God. It is a story of two who were to have intimate relationship, Ron Elmore and the Lord God Almighty. His original plan was, Ron, I mean, the Lord God Almighty and you, his original plan was that we would be his created beings in intimate perfect, face-to-face, conflict-free relationship with him. But then, of course, sin entered in and changed everything upside down. How many of you have recognized that though he has bridged the gap now through the giving of his son, the Christ dying on the cross, us placing our faith in him, him rising from the dead, he's coming back for us one day. And the Bible says when he comes for us, we will be like him. We will see him as he is, conflict all over with. But in the meantime, here we are. The problem is he has reconciled our relationship with him, but in many ways our relationship with each other is still a work in progress. How many of you have recognized, just put your hand up, that the ones that it is hardest to manage conflict with are the people who are closest with us? Yeah, that's the nature of conflict. The people we don't know very well, we don't have much of a stake in it. I don't have conflict with people I don't know well. Just about an hour, hour or so ago, uh, we were coming downstairs to come here, and uh, we were going to meet uh, our driver outside, and coming down the elevator uh, from the sixth floor of the hotel, everybody that was in the elevator with us, we had a 30-second relationship with them. There was no conflict whatsoever. If they pressed the wrong button or didn't know, a lady got on the elevator, she didn't really know where she wanted to go. She said, I want to go to P3. Well, you need the parking elevator. Why are you on this elevator? I got to go preach the word of God. We got a conflict now because you're slowing my roll while you're trying to figure what you're trying to do. But there was no fight. There was no cussing. There was no fussing. There was no problem. Why? Because I don't know her. She don't know me. So I was patient as I could be with her. I tried to look to see where the parking lot elevator was for her. Everybody in there was trying to give her advice and counsel. There were people asking me dumb questions on the elevator about where I got my coffee. None of your business where I got my coffee. This is my coffee. There's coffee shops downstairs. There's coffee in the room. But was there mess? Was there a fight? Absolutely not. Why is it that there was no fight when I'm an impatient person, got somewhere I got to be, being slowed down in what I'm trying to do, being asked ridiculous questions that's none of your business because you don't know me? The reason conflict and differences were so able to be managed so efficiently because we have superficial 30-second relationships. When we got to the lobby, our relationship was over. I didn't know what direction they were going in. They didn't know what direction I was going in. I don't know their kids' names. I don't know what's on their prayer list. I don't know their credit score. I will not think about them again. They won't think about me again. But there are other relationships. The one you sleep with in the queen-size bed. The one who claims to be your best friend, your brother and sister in Christ, your spouse, your neighbor, your boss, your brother, your sister, your mama, your daddy. That's where mess needs to be managed, doesn't it? 
That's the place where even as blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ headed to heaven, it becomes a challenge to us because think about it. Even though we are believers on the Lord Jesus Christ filled with his Holy Spirit, it does not stop conflict from happening, right? Even though we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ filled with his Holy Spirit, it does not stop our anger from being roused. I can be madder at the ones I love than the ones I don't love. Anybody you work with, you got a nine-to-five relationship with them. At 4.59 p.m., the relationship is over. We are friendly to them. We talk nice to them. We are patient with them. I want us to talk about today how to manage mess in the relationships that matter most to you. Get the person in mind right now. You don't have to turn to your neighbor and tell them nothing. It might even be your neighbor. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to testify about it. It's just between you and the Lord. Get in mind, or maybe the Lord has already put in your mind when I said what the topic of today's teaching is about. He may have already flashed somebody in your mind. It's probably somebody that you cannot shake them from your life. They are your family. That means whether you like them or don't like them, we're going to see them. That means no matter how you try not to answer the phone or ignore the text, you're going to see them at some point. It means that conflict, for the sake of our study today, does not necessarily mean wrong, one of you wrong and one of you right. For the sake of our study, can we adopt today a definition of conflict to mean differences between two people who matter to each other, who've got one issue that matters to both of you? Differences between two people who matter to each other, who've got an issue that matters to both of you, and you went out and did just what Jesus did. You picked people for close-up relationship that are kind of like you on the surface and the opposite of you underneath the skin. It's what all of us do. It's what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. Who did he pick for covenant relationship with? He picked Ron. He picked you. I think, I act, and I feel. That's just like Jesus. We've got that in common. He thinks, he acts, he feels. I love, he loves. We've got so much in common. I picked Jesus. Jesus picked me. But look a little closer. There's conflict. There's differences. Because if you look underneath the skin, there are ways in which I'm the very opposite of Jesus. He's a holy God. I'm an unholy Ron. He is a totally selfless Savior. I am a self-centered sinner. Saved by grace. But we ain't the same on that front at all. To please him, it takes worship and obedience. It doesn't take worship and obedience to please me. To please me, it takes a sense of security, his love, his affection, his provision, his forgiveness. He doesn't need any forgiveness from me, but I need it from him. I don't need any obedience from him, but he needs it from me. That means two people who love each other and on the surface would seem to have so much in common. We've picked each other and underneath the skin there are vast, huge differences between us. Have you noticed that to be true with every boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or best friend that you picked? The ones that God flashed into your mind for us to talk about having a well-managed uh, reconciled, conflict-managed relationship with are people that on the surface are like you, but underneath the skin are the opposite of you. How many of you would say it is your natural personality style to be a patient person? Put your hand up. You ain't got everything right, but it's natural for you to be kind of patient. Put your hand up. Now stop and think. All of you raised your hand as uh, patient. How many of you would say your closest relationship are with other people who are patient? You've noticed the people that you are most close with or the person that you're most close with is probably someone who does not have the patience you got. That means you love each other, you're in an intimate relationship with each other, but opposites attract one another. How many of you would say in conflict, I like to speak up, get it off my chest, get it out my mouth, I'm not going to have a stroke up in here or a heart attack, we're going to talk about this, good, bad, or ugly. Put your hands up. I'm one of you. We have that in common. Now, think about it. All of us who put our hands up and say we are talkers about it in conflict, think about the ones you are closest to. You didn't pick another talk about it person, did you? The person that you are in closest relationship with, you pick like Jesus. Somebody kind of like you and kind of not like you. Introverts pick extroverts. 
Talkers pick feelers. Feelers pick doers. People who talk fast pick people who talk slow. People who think and speak pick people who think and feel, pray about it, think about it, and might get around to talking about it. And both of them are just like Jesus. Neither one right, neither one wrong. People who are focused on the future pick people who are still praying about the past. <laughs> people who say, let's do it with cash, pick people who say, I've got the favor of God, MasterCard and Visa. People who say, we got to deal with this right now, pick people who say, I had to get back after I've had a chance to think about this. Why? Because you're crazy. No. It's because God has wired us in a way where we, like he, are attracted to those who have traits and characteristics that are like him, are like us, and then who have traits and characteristics who are the opposite of us. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about today how you can manage conflict, differences, a, a disagreement, uh, both of you having a stake in a matter, both of you wanting to see it go down your way, but both of you feeling as if yours is the right way and having to get it across to somebody who's not like you, how to fight right, how to manage conflict in your relationship with somebody who's kind of like you and kind of not like you at all. Look what the Bible has to say in Luke chapter 1. This lets us in on it right there. Anybody who thinks the Bible is fairy tales, that everything is going to be really, really wonderful. It is once we get to heaven. But we've got a realistic Jesus and a realistic Bible who makes it clear to us in this life it ain't going to be perfect. Look what it says in Luke chapter 17 verse 1 as we talk about how to fight right. In Luke 17, 1, it says, it is, and this is literally in red letters in your Bible, Jesus says it. He said, it is impossible that offenses will never come up. That's not Ron Elmore saying that. That's Jesus himself going. The Jesus who said, I am at work in you. I am the one who I'm dying on the cross for you. I'm going to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to fill you. I am at work in you to will and to do according to your good pleasure. It is, oh, by the way, impossible that offenses never come up. I don't care how saved you are. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care how many times you pray in a day or how much of the Bible you have memorized. Jesus says it's impossible that offenses never come up. The issue is not will there be offenses? Will there be conflict? Will there be differences of opinion? Will there be differences between our points of view, our desires, our ways, our ways of getting to the finish line? No, there will be differences. He created us with those differences. The issue becomes what will we do to glorify him and to reconcile us in light of and in spite of those differences when he says it is impossible that offenses not come. You cannot have intimate relationship with somebody where there is no conflict. Anytime there's no conflict, that's two people that don't really care about this relationship. I don't have conflict with people where I don't care whether they come or whether they go. We have conflict with the people we care the most about. Jesus says, it's impossible that offenses not come. And then in James chapter 1, verse 19, look what he says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That sounds easy to read, hard to do. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It's almost like if you put those two verses together, it makes one flowing verse that covers all the bases. In James chapter 1, 19, understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Ephesians 4, 15 says, instead, it says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Stop and think about it. What does it say? It says we, are, uh, uh, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Translation, got to listen, and translation, got to speak. Some believers have come up with a fairy tale version of conflict management that believes we're just supposed to be silent and never speak. And some kind of way believe that's like Jesus. Wait a minute. Jesus was silent. He was really good at it. When they brought a woman caught in adultery, Jesus, who was God himself, could have said to the woman, wow, Look at you, you adulterous, low-down trifle. How are you going to be one of mine and committing adultery? And he would have been correct. 
She violated the laws that God had handed down to his covenant people. There was a conflict between his expectations and her behavior. And how did Jesus respond to it? He got rid of all those who would condemn her. And then, failing to say what he could have said, failing to condemn her with words that would have been true, Jesus used silence to love on her. And he says, who condemns you? I don't. Go your way. Sin no more. What do we find out? In conflict, he's really good at silence. Ah, but that's not all. That same Jesus, a little later on, it says that same Jesus, he got to the temple, his house of prayer, he said. He looked in there and saw that there were money changers, people ripping off uh, God's people who were exploiting them, selling them diseased animals for sacrifices, trying to get their money from them. Jesus didn't stand there and go, in the name of godly conflict resolution, I'm going to be silent now. I'm going to pray through this conflict. I'm going to sick God on them and just hope in Jesus' name that my silence will cause this to be reconciled. He looked and said, they're doing what up in there? He picked up a whip, turned the place upside down and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He held them accountable to him in conflict. So you go, wait a minute, Jesus, which one is it? Am I supposed to shut up? Or am I supposed to speak up? If you just tell me which one it is, raise your hand in here. I'm the only one looking. Everybody look this way. How many of you would say in conflict, my first inclination is to be a speaker upper? Put your hand up. Not your desire, not your prayer. It is naturally your first inclination. For better or for worse, you are a speaker upper. Now put your hand down. How many of you would say in conflict, when it's with somebody I really care about, when the mess hits the fan, my first inclination is not to be a speaker upper, but a shutter upper. Put your hand up. Yeah, look at that. We're about equally divided up in here. Just enough speaker uppers to get a headache from the shutter uppers. And just enough shutter uppers in conflict to get a headache from the speaker uppers. What does the word of God hate? have to say to us, Jesus himself says in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says to them, on the night that he's going to be arrested, right before he's going to die on the cross, as if Jesus is giving his deathbed request, guess what he says to his disciples? Remember this? He says, a new commandment I give you, and that commandment is that y'all love one another in the same way that I have loved you. That's pretty easy when you just uh, uh, stop and think about it on the surface. You kind of go, well, shoot. I got some traits and characteristics in me that's just like Jesus. So I already got that naturally. I naturally speak up, and that's just like Jesus. Others would say, I naturally shut up. I'm patient. I keep it to myself in conflict. That's just like Jesus. Jesus says, no, I want your love to look like my love. And the problem is Jesus is a hybrid. He does both. That means that natural speaker-uppers in conflict in relationships that matter to imitate the love of Jesus would mean we speaker-uppers become shutter-uppers too. That means to imitate the love of Jesus, natural shutter-uppers, wow, what a blessing you are, become speaker-uppers. But have you noticed there's one of those traits of Jesus that is naturally like me, and one that for me to do it takes supernatural intervention. I did. I am a perfect. We are a perfect example. I am excited to have my wife, Aladrian, here with me. Uh, normally when I travel around, we are not together. So this is a huge historic blessing that she gets to travel with me. Her ministry is in Sacramento, and mine tends to be traveling on the road. We've been married now for 34 years. That's my girl. We got a lot in common. That's my best friend, mother of my children, love her. We get along, love each other, like each other. And yet, what did I say? The more intimate the relationship, the more likely the possibility of more inevitable conflict. I have fights with the next door neighbor because I don't even know their name. I have conflict with the one I care about. What did I do? Just like Jesus, I went out and picked somebody who's kind of like me. I'm a pastor's son. She's a pastor's daughter. My middle name starts with L, her middle name starts with L. I love jazz music, she can sing and play. She loves jazz music. We had all that in common, but look closer. We've got huge differences. I am a natural born in conflict speaker-upper. I married a shutter-upper. What a blessing it has been to our marriage that both of us ain't speaker-uppers. 
what a blessing it has been to our marriage that both of us ain't shutter-uppers. It would be too loud around our address if we were both shutter speaker-uppers, and it would be too quiet, and too few things would get resolved if we were both shutter-uppers. The problem is, when we have conflict, I'm not saying she's got a demon, not anymore. I'm, she's not saying I got a demon. What we're saying is we've got one issue that matters to both of us. We got to get to a resolution point. I'm passionate about my point of view. She's passionate about her point of view. And her approach to managing conflict is let me think about it a while. Let me pray about it. Let me write about it in my journal. And because of that, it's blessed our marriage. It means there's some stuff that she didn't get into rashly and prematurely. Because if she got into it prematurely, because I like to talk, I would jump and I would be saying some stuff prematurely. It's been a blessing. But then there are other times we get into conflict and that we, it, where it's a blessing to us that we've got a speaker upper like me. There ain't no three and four days. If she's walking around looking a little funny, I won't just say, let me pray about this. I'll say, you mad at me about something? I don't even need to know what it is. If you ain't mad at me, I'm good. You can go back to moping around the house if you want to. I just need to know you ain't mad at me. So because I'm a speaker-upper, it means we get into conversations that we might normally avoid if both of us were the same. But because she's a shutter-upper, we avoid prematurely. The problem is, because we are fallen, broken sinners, you, me, us, everybody that we're in relationship with, we also have a flesh that wants us to turn the other person into us. Look at that. I want her to speak up when I'm ready to talk about this. She wants me to please shut up when I'm ready to do the speaking. And it means that we become to glorify God and to obey his commandment and to speak truth and love in a way that contributes to each other's growth. We become those who have to do what is natural to us and what is supernatural to us. It takes supernatural for me to shut up. It takes supernatural for her to stand up to me because I make lawyer-like arguments I, at point one and point two, and it's organized. And if it doesn't make sense, I'll make you think it makes sense, <laughs> even if it don't make sense. She's spiritual and knows way more scriptures by heart than me. She has the meekness of Christ. I have the boldness of Christ, and I have become, through the trial and error of managing conflict, more like Jesus by doing the thing that is not natural to me, she has become more like Jesus by doing the thing that's not natural to her. So let me ask you this. Where does it show up in your closest relationship? Where do you see the difference? Can anybody say, can you point out the difference? In our case, it is one of us approaches boldly, approaches conflict. Let's do it now. Ready or not, here we come. One of us says, I need some time to process it. I need to go underground and think it through. It's too slow for me and too fast for her. How many of you have seen a difference like that in relationship that you've got? Yeah. What's the difference between the two of you? Um, it's, I'm fast forward and he's rewinding. That's right. So you're standing all over here talking about, I don't understand why you're not ready to talk. If this relationship matters to you, you ought to have something to say about it. What do you mean you need time to think? This is too important. You, on the other hand, are the slower pace. She doesn't know it, that when you're flicking channels with that remote control and watching the game, th she thinks you ignored what she said. You're processing what she said while you're flicking channels, washing the car, while you are looking at the sports page. You're thinking, I can't believe she rolled up on me like she rolled up on me. I can't believe that point she just made. You know what? Maybe that was of God, though. You know what? Maybe she's got a point. No, she doesn't have a point. And you're processing if she will leave you alone you are ready to talk. If you will let her talk, she is ready to deal. It means that you fooled around. What does that mean? That God wasn't in it. It was not the will of God for you two to get together. No, it doesn't. What if it means that you picked just like Jesus? You pick somebody who ain't like you. You pick somebody who in their fallenness and brokenness uses something that is not what you use to manage conflict. Here's what I want to impress. If you forget everything that I share with you today, I want you to go home, and it's one thing. It ain't the three things. It ain't the five things. It ain't the seven things. 
I want to encourage you. The Bible talks about in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus himself says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be a passionate, sincere follower, and that in the original language of the New Testament, it implies not just moving uh, right foot and left foot behind Jesus, it implies this idea of fellowship by imitation. If anyone would come after me to imitate me, to, in this case, love and manage conflict the way I love and the way I manage conflict, let him do what? Speak up if you're a speaker upper. No, not what he said. If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Shut up and stick to what's natural to you and don't worry about what ain't natural to you. Nope. He said, if anyone would come after me to imitate me and my style of love, let him deny himself, literally a word there that means to abandon yourself and to take up your cross and to follow me. It means that on account of following Jesus, not because it seems more efficient, not because it seems quicker, not because it seems comfortable, he is literally calling us and commanding us, just like this Bible that calls us to salvation, that calls us to radical discipleship, that calls us to obedience. This Bible is calling us to a level of imitating Jesus in our relationships that cannot be accomplished except by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us as we make a choice to do the thing that ain't natural to us. That means shutting up means that when we are in conflict and there's an issue, whether it's about money or whether it's about kids or whether it's about uh, uh, spiritual things or whether it's uh, uh, about business or whatever it's about, that it requires me to do what Jesus did. What did he do? He temporarily became like the one he loved in order to show love to the one he loved. What do you mean he temporarily? I thought he was God. Well, he was God. Well, then he stopped being God and came to earth and became human to love me. Nope, he did both. He was bilingual. It was natural for him to be God. It was unnatural. It was indeed supernatural for him to become temporarily like me, human, in order to resolve conflict with me. What did he do? Fully God, he became fully human. He temporarily became like us in order to resolve conflict with us. Then he says, I want your love to look like my love. That means our marriage is not just a story of us making babies and building a retirement income. It is a story of succeeding and failing and succeeding and failing and struggling again to try to do in the flesh what can only be done by the Spirit. And that is me doing the thing that's not my natural tongue. It's natural for me to speak up, to confront, to debate. I love conflict. Long as it means we're going to stay together when it's over, it's stimulating debate and using words and competition and who's going to win and which way is it going to go when it's over? That feels like intimacy to me because when it's over, I'm going, wow, we went there, didn't we? And look at us still holding hands up in here. But I married somebody who, for her, love means we talk it through after there's been much thought and much prayer and much consideration and much meekness and humility and time. So to temporarily become like her makes me feel like I'm about to die. That's how I know I'm following Jesus. It is denying myself, getting up on the cross, getting a headache, knots in my stomach, and going, how long must I bear with this story forever? You already told me that part. It is shutting up the speaker upper and listening to the thinker feeler because mine is not wrong and neither is hers and the difference becomes the opportunity for God to reconcile two who are the opposite of each other. What does it mean for her? It means that it comes natural for her to say, I'm not ready to talk yet. 
It comes natural for her to say, I need to pray about this. It comes natural for her to fill up a journal before we get ready to discuss the conflict. It becomes natural to her to go, what will happen to the relationship if I say this? We might need to say it, but I don't like conflict and confrontation. I can't stand the chaos of it. And it means to be a follower of Christ who denies herself and gets up on that cross, bearing it with Jesus and loving as his imitator, it means she speaks up when she'd rather shut up. It means sometimes with a quiver in her voice, she'll go, uh, 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 Ron, I got something I need to tell you. That's as far as I can get today. I'll tell you the rest of it tomorrow. And off we go. And in Jesus' name, she'll come back tomorrow. I've changed my mind. I thought I was mad at you. I'm actually sad. No, actually, I'm mad and sad. I'll tell you how and why tomorrow. And it means that reconciled relationship is to doing what is natural to them. Oh, do I need her to not give up being a shutter-upper. If she talked and if she was as persuasive and as much of a marketer as I am, We'd have a problem up in there. One of us, a blessing. Two of us, too much. That means my speaker upper ignites a portion of the life of Christ and the love of Christ that would not naturally be ours were it not for him having poured it generously into me. But the other part is what he poured generously into her. That means every fight, every argument, the ones we fail at this, the ones where I try to make her into a Ron and she tries to make me into an Eladrian, it's okay because intimate relationship means until Jesus comes back, we were going to be down here doing something anyway. So that means fail today and try it again tomorrow. What if it means that there is a God in heaven who is not just up there waiting to come through the clouds at any minute to get us? with his reward in his hands. And what if he's not just rewarding us for how many times you went to church? What if he's not just coming with his reward in his hand for how many African leaders you trained in Cape Town? What if he's not rewarding us just for how much money you sowed into the kingdom of God? What if he's not rewarding us just for how you stop smoking and stop cussing and stop drinking? What if he says, my reward is with me, and I got reward for some stuff you didn't know every struggle, every time you got up? And your natural inclination in conflict was to speak up all over the place. And you stayed a speaker-upper, but you became bilingual and struggled to be a shutter-upper too. What if he says, my reward is with me. When you did what was supernatural, not natural, with your shutter-upper self, you boldly got up and let me protect you and me protect your fast-beating heart and your blood pressure and your fear of uh, abandonment, and you let me be your protector, so you spoke up when you'd rather shut up. What does it look like to manage mess? What does it look like to resolve conflict? It looks like imitating Jesus by doing not only the holy version of what you are already good at, but the struggling, not so great at it, attempting, trying, failing version of trusting him to do what is not natural for you to do. If we are to be doers of this word, starting today, for how many of you will it mean going home and not just practicing, starting today, getting better and better at expressing yourself, getting better and better at setting them straight? You are right much of the time when you set people straight. And that little scripture you threw in at the end, that was genius, wonderful. You remember the facts like nobody else. You remember how it went down, so you speak up. You're not going to put up with mess like your mama put up with or your daddy put up with, so you speak up. But how many of you would say, today, God's invited me into the opportunity to imitate him by learning the opposite side of Christ's nature, and it is in conflict, imitating becoming like, temporarily like the other person in ways that are not natural to me. Put your hand up. 
How many of you would say, for me, starting today, it is the invitation by the power, not your flesh, not your determination, not my little teaching here, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, responding to a word that says, it is mine now to trust that I don't have to be found right all the time. I don't have to prove my point all the time and persuade the other people to see it like I see it. I don't have to understand what's going on in their mind. I have a higher goal now. It is imitating Jesus by loving bilingually, which means I give to somebody else what I can only give them by temporarily becoming like them. Put your hands up. I want to pray for you. And then, Pastor, I believe you said we've got time for a few questions about something I talked about or that we didn't get to talk about. After I pray for you, I'm going to ask you, what questions do you have that are going to help you to apply what we've talked about in the specifics of your situation? I want you to adopt what I call a sanctified selfishness. It means that instead of asking a question for the body of Christ, you ever seen some believers that do that? It drives me crazy. They ask a question for somebody in the back row because they believe you need to hear the answer to that question. No, ask the question that's going to help you do your thing at your address in managing mess in your relationships in becoming bilingual imitator of Jesus in all the spheres in which you have relationship with others. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. It is simple for me to say it is easy for us to hear. It is impossible for us to do, lest you do it through us. So now, Lord, would you help us Thank you for what already is ours, the filling of your Holy Spirit. You at work in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Now, as we come to these questions, help us to be good stewards of these next few minutes. Help us to seize opportunity to specifically apply the principles of your word that you have challenged us to, invited us into, that you want to bless us by equipping us to live out. Help us, Lord God, to think, to say, and to do for your good pleasure. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How can I help you with some insights that can help you to apply what we just talked about? Oh, we got backup. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Did you, wonderful. Did you, did you enjoy my did, did you like it? Isn't he amazing? Oh, bless you, bless you, y'all. Let's just sit down there for a minute. You know, yeah, worked hard this today. This is good. This is good. This is great. I, I, well, let me, how many have a question? Does anybody have a question before I ask him one? Think about it for a second. You, you, you shutter uppers, is that what it is, huh? Yeah. You think about that for a second. First of all, I, I, I really appreciate what you said. I think that was, one, wasn't that one of the best messages? Come on, oh, wasn't that just right. absolutely, absolutely phenomenal? And those of you that are streaming in from home, we want you to feel like you're part of what we're doing today. And so you can send a question to pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org if you'd like to, and I'll get it to him. If you send your questions, and I'll let him know by tomorrow. Pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. Now, tell me about this. What's it with you in this, 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 um, this teaching married folks all these years? How did you, you're a clinical psychologist. What are you, sir? You, my, my training is in the theology, but then I couldn't stand seminary in the study of theology. So I had a pastor who said, but you love counseling. And so they sent me back to school for clinical psychology. So I am a Christian therapist, and I like the idea of integrating the Word of God and all of the principles of truth from science and research and letting God get glory through both instead of just one. Great. So you spent, you spent, you your count. 25 years in private practice doing mostly couples therapy and uh, uh, dating and relationship coaching, relationship therapy in California, and then uh, about 30 years serving on the staff of churches as either senior pastor or staff pastor, and then writing books that, about relationships. It's my passion. So what do you think is the biggest challenge in marriages, the biggest, when you the top three issues? Yeah. I believe the number one biggest challenge, and every one of the top three comes under this one, is our fallen, broken, sinful, selfish flesh. It is because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. There is, remember when they sinned and uh, this, everything perfect turned into rotten. 
Everything that was in abundance turned into, it was in scarcity. Now, God says to Adam, uh, where were you, Adam? Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I believe the number one thing is we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of shame. We're afraid of abandonment. We're afraid of being left alone. We're afraid of being found out. We're aware that there is something imperfect about all of us, and we don't want God or anybody else to know too much about it because we're afraid you'll do what you but it makes sense for you to do, to reject us and to abandon us. And so the ways that we operate in marriage and in friendships and in relationships, oftentimes with the assistance of the enemy, are less about developing reconciled, intimate relationship and more about protecting ourselves from pain. I've noticed a lot of pastors don't have great marriages. That's just an observation. Yeah. It's surprising yep. to me. And but, it's true and real. Yeah. Tell me... Why do you think pastors have trouble in marriage relationships? Yeah. I think pastors have trouble in marriage relationships, particularly in our generation, and the numbers are skyrocketing. Uh, about 10 years ago, Pastor, there was a statistic that said about 51% uh, of the uh, marriages in our country, that's saved, unsaved, everybody, would end in divorce. Guess what happened? About three or four years ago, the numbers started going down. That meant unbelievers, uh, uh, people who don't even know Jesus, were staying married long and committing to stay married and working it out and this and that. Guess what happened? In that same time period, the divorce rate started skyrocketing in the body of Christ. That meant believers are getting divorced, are, uh, the number of married couples who are divorcing is going up at a faster rate than unbelievers. So why do I believe it happens so much with pastors and leaders? Because the truth of the matter is, pastors and leaders are regular people like us. We have just lied and acted like we ain't regular. We have kind of acted like there was something about this job description that means all of a sudden your marriage got magic mojo on it or something. And we've acted like we don't need friends, we don't need mentors. We want everybody to come to the marriage retreat, but we ain't at the marriage retreat. We want everybody to, to come in and get good Christian counseling, but we ain't getting good Christian counseling. We think everybody needs to go home and spend time with their family, but we in the office. We're not spending time with our families. So it really does come down to we have preached the right message. We just didn't recognize it was for us too. And I think the enemy jumped into that because we're regular people. It means we go under by the same things that regular people go under. I want to end with this. Um, did we have anybody that have a question before I go any further? Okay, good. Y'all shut her up. That's good. All right. Here's the, deal. The, the deal, why, why would you sell your house and move to Africa? I mean, go for it. What, I'll go for it. It's, what, it's what a long winding story, and I'll try yeah. to give you the Reader's Digest version. Tomorrow of it. he'll expand on this tomorrow, but yeah. just to abbreviate it for now. I, um, I, it's been 30 years now. I'm getting kind of old, and I have recognized that God has blessed me to we, get we, to we, do a number age, of things. You yeah, can't be I, saying I, that. I, I'm, I'm old with quotes around it. Yeah, okay. okay, let's say not really old, but <laughs> yeah, I'm really old now. And I got to a point where I realized, God, thank you so much for letting me travel the country, travel the world, talk about relationships. Thank you, Lord, for letting me have the training that you let me have where we don't give away clinical psychology to the world. We've taken it and reclaimed it and found that there are principles of psychology that are consistent with the Word of God, and they don't just get to have that. Thank you that I've gotten to influence uh, people of color in particular. That's been my passion. I come from a broken home. My parents stayed together. I'm a pastor's son. They stayed together the whole time, but it was a horrible marriage. It was a violent marriage. It was alcoholism. It was disengagement, adultery. Uh, it was a horrible marriage by, by all accounts. They blessed people's marriages and in many ways failed in their own. And something developed in me that was a passion that God put inside me for sitting in a room with individuals and couples. It's like a puzzle to me and figuring out how it is possible that our lives can be different. Not just the stuff we talk about on Sunday. On Sunday when we preach, it's got to be a word that's for everybody. But on Monday when it's time to apply it, I need to know how to apply it in the specifics of my life. And so uh, my counseling practice, my writing, and all those things becomes for me an opportunity to disciple people with the specifics of Sunday's word 
in application to your particular situation. And that's just been for me a passion. My only uh, career I ever wanted to do uh, from a little child was to be uh, an actor. I wanted to be a movie star. That was, in fact, my first career. I never got to the movie star phase, I, 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 but that's all I wanted. I envisioned God getting his glory through me being a famous, rich movie star and telling people about Jesus even as I won Academy Awards. That didn't work out. So I ended up in ministry, volunteering at my church in Los Angeles as a 19-year-old kid wanting to be a movie star, going to auditions in Los Angeles, wanting to be Hollywood's next best thing. And some kind of way, as I got to know Jesus more and as I got to experiment with and take risk in ministering to people and hating the pulpit part but loving the messy counseling part, I saw that God had a unique call upon my life, a unique opportunity if I would rise up to it. I started doing this at a time where it was kind of common for people to say uh, psychology is for sinners. It's heresy. It's against the word of God. And if you're trying to do that, you're compromising scripture. And I thank God. We're not there anymore. Believers understand that there's bad psychology and good psychology. There's holy and righteous ways of applying science, and there's ungodly humanistic ways of applying science. But back in those days, it was very controversial. And I don't consider myself a, a crusader, but some kind of way he gave me the courage to go after the passionate call that he put inside me. And then he gave me opportunity to feed my family and to influence others. And so now I got to thinking, Lord, what about not just the middle class people of Savannah or Sacramento or Chicago or New York or all these places I get to travel. The people who buy my books are educated middle class people. The churches I go to for the most part are educated middle class people. If I were to die today, people would miss me, but there's a thousand other people who God has raised up who talk about what I talk about. With many trips to Africa and seeing the poor and seeing how in many ways the body of Christ is generations behind us in Africa, they have people with the heart, with the desire, with the calling, with the passion, but they don't have access to the education, the mentoring, the coaching that all of us have access to and that has blessed and shaped my ministry. And so with many trips to Africa, I got to thinking, God, what might be possible if you could use my life to speak not just to middle class American Christians, who can get it online even if I don't show up, but I get to speak to people who can't afford school, they can't afford my books, they can't afford to come to the States, they can't afford to go to a school where they can even learn how psychology and theology can integrate. What if all the young men that I've gotten to mentor, all the young women that Aladrian has gotten to mentor in 30 years of ministry in California, what if we get to do that in Africa? And I began to believe that God was preparing us for foreign missions ministry where we would have an impact with the poor, not to solve Africa's problem, but to help elevate leaders and let them solve Africa's problem by the glory of God. But for them to have access to help like I've had. And so uh, about five years ago, we began to pray about it. We began to get rid of stuff, sensing that God was going to send us. We thought we were going to go to Sierra Leone to uh, plant a church there or to mentor some young men who were planting a church there. We thought we were going to go to the Dominican Republic and uh, to be a part of a residential treatment center for sex trafficked Haitian kids. We thought we were going to go to New Orleans and be uh, resident counselors for an urban boarding school for the poor. None of those things worked out. And one day I was sitting at the mechanics waiting on my car to be serviced and I was online and I had always heard that Cape Town, South Africa is a beautiful place. And we said, Lord, take us anywhere where we can impact the poor. But would you please make it a beautiful place where we'd love to live? We don't have to live fancy. We sold the fancy house. Thank God for it. Found out we don't need it. The kids up and left, and we don't want them to come back. So the less room we got, the better we felt like we could make this thing work. And so we got rid of it. We got rid of our possessions. And we found out over the last few years how little it takes for us to be able to serve God and not have to think about all of the mortgages and think about the cars and think about the, uh, uh, the technology and think about the clothes and all of that, well, where we're going, all of that is secondary at best. It is an opportunity when I Googled Cape Town, South Africa, leadership development, as I had done like a thousand times before, up popped in my Google search, East Mountain Leadership Development Mission in Cape Town. It seemed too good to be true, a place where experts set up what's like a West Point Academy for Christian leaders. 
It's a place where we will coach and mentor and train leaders, not the people they serve, but the people who serve the people who need being served, where they can get theological education, business coaching, pastors, entrepreneurs, and community development leaders, where they come into a residential setting where everything is paid for in an estate on a vineyard property in the most beautiful part of Cape Town's vineyard area where the only requirement for them to pay back what they're going to get in education and mentoring and coaching and uh, uh, lifelong mentoring is they have to promise to develop more leaders in their leadership context. When I saw that, I said, this is too good to be true. So we started Skyping the staff at this leadership development mission in South Africa. The conversation sounded like people we'd want to be with doing what we believe God had called us to do. It still seemed too good to be true. I'm the suspicious sort. So we flew to Cape Town spent several days with them, and we came away believing that this was what God had called us to for the next chapter of our lives. So on January 17th, uh, about three weeks ago, the final pictures and picture frames in our home, we gave them away. We, it's down to our toothbrushes and our clothes. We flew away to the countryest part of North Carolina that you could imagine. We're undergoing six weeks of intercultural training for missions, and on March 16th, by the grace of God, we plan to land in Cape Town, South Africa, and begin working at East Mountain Leadership Development Center until God says something else. We need your prayers, because we found out that if some people in the body of Christ will do the going, and some people in the body of Christ will do the praying and the giving, that God can transform this planet, even 10,000 miles away from Savannah, Georgia. That's in a short how we ended up with this wow. That's my friend, Ron Elmore. Give him a big hand. Thanks, Ron. That's it. You're amazing. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Thank you buddy. You. Come on, give him a big hand. That's Ron. Thank you, buddy. What a great Thank job. <laughs> I appreciate it. What a great job.